everybody take your Bibles uh, and or look at the screen to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 19. All right, here we go. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he, looks, he who looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in, in all that he is doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before the God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I'd like you to look back up at verse 22, because actually we're just going to cover verses 22 to 25 today. Look in particular at verse 22. Everybody read that verse together with me. Ready? But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. One of the things that I want to accomplish this morning and really, if I can get this accomplished, it would be uh, the main thing. What we tend to do as Christians, and particularly as Western Christians, is when we see phrases like be doers of the word, we slip into this mindset where what we want is a list of things that we're supposed to do, and then a list of things that we're not supposed to do. Uh, We all have a tendency to slip into what I would call a Pharisee spirit. And if you remember, Jesus fought with the Pharisees all the time who were always, you know, Ten Commandments wasn't enough for the Pharisees. I think they added, somebody help me if you remember, but I think they added to the commandments about 576 laws. And so if we were applying this verse to our lives with that as the template, we just are all in a bunch of trouble and, 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 and if we apply that to one another, what we've done is we've picked up a Pharisee spirit and that ends up killing relationships and it's death to a church. And so I want you to look at that verse again, verse 22, but listen to this paraphrase and think about it this way. Don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it. For that's the essence of self-deception. So always let his word become poetry written and fulfilled by your life. Does that sound different? Doesn't that sound different than what's the list of do's and don'ts? But let your life become poetry. Now, I think it's important, and I'm going to jump around a little bit here from what I had in mind. Um, 
there's another passage I want you to see that will help us understand this even more. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And uh, I was going to do this later, but let me find it here now. Okay. Verse, uh, cha- Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Some of you probably have memorized these verses. You can quote them. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one would bo- may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, wait a minute. We're supposed to be doers of the word, not hearers only. And now we've got Paul in a previous passage talking about doing good works. Is it faith or is it works? But there's a key word in verse 10. And the key word in verse 10 is, for we are His workmanship. And the word that's used for workmanship is the word poema. The word that's used for doer in James chapter 1, verse 22, is the word poietus. The Greek word poietus and the Greek word poema. Both words have a root in them, and the root to that word is from which we get the word poetry. So to be a doer of the word is actually to live out the, the poem, or if you think about it as an artist, to live out, you're like a canvas for God. And God is drawing this beautiful piece of artwork on you. Uh, maybe even a better picture is this. Uh, if you think of a landscape, if you think of a beautiful garden like at Central Park, or one of the things that Stephanie and Kathy did, Stephanie mainly has done this amazing job with flowers in front of the church parsonage this summer. And if you've got flowers planted, you know what this looks like because with all the humidity we've had and with all the heat that we've had, what's been happening to gardens? They've just been exploding. I mean, you come home and all of a sudden it's like, wow, did she plant more flowers? No, it's not because she planted more flowers. It's because they're doing what they're supposed to when they get all the right nutrients to happen. Water and the soil and the sun, the humidity that's coming. When all those things come together, all of a sudden an explosion takes place. So what James is saying is, if you're responding to the Word properly, it's almost like an explosion is taking place in your life. And you can't help yourself from doing what you're supposed to do. So what we're looking at as we look at this passage is we're recognizing that we are busy about the mission of God. Now, earlier in James chapter 1, James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials and temptations and all those difficulties. What happens to us when we spend a lot of time focusing on trials and temptations? Discouragement? Despair? Uh, depression? Anxiety? Uh, maybe a little bitterness slips in, like, God, where are you? And all those kinds of things. But James is giving us the antidote to the depression and the discouragement and the despair that might come. And the antidote is to be focused on His call, His purpose, His destiny, on what He's drawing upon our lives. The landscape, the, the canvas of our lives. 
It's when things are happening from the inside out and we're fulfilling and doing the things that God has called us to fulfill that, that there's something that rises up within us that says, you can bring anything you want to me, enemy. I can face any difficulty that I need to face because I know I am intentional and I know exactly where I'm headed. Come hell or high water, I'm pushing everything out of the way because I know where I'm going. And that's what James is talking about when he talks about being doers of the Word and not hearers only. Because when we are functioning in God's uh, destiny over our lives, it literally can release supernatural strength so we can face hurdles in life and any attempts that the enemy brings to trip us up. A lot of times when we get into situations where we're like, for example, in a relational conflict, when we're in difficulties with the situation that we're facing. What the enemy wants to help us think is that the enemy is the person. As long as he can take our attention off of him and forget the fact that he is the one that's creating all the problems. He's the one that's getting in the way of all the relationships that we have. He's the one that that's, uh, snags us and causes us to be offensive to people or causes people to offend us. He's the one that's trying to destroy our purpose. He's the one that we're battling with all the time. And if you go back and all you need to do is just read a few psalms and you recognize like there's this psalm, I forget which one it is, I think it's Psalm 31 where, where David is battling with uh, uh, his son, Absalom. His son Absalom is literally rebelling against him. And he has to remind himself that even though Absalom is posturing himself as an enemy, Absalom's not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And Absalom is allowing himself to be used by the enemy of God, the devil, Satan, in order to try to bring down David. That's the message that James is trying to get across to us. That hearing and doing the Word of God is what enables us to experience the benefit of our salvation and to function in this God-designed role that we have as co-laborers with Him. Now, let me bring you back to that verse again. If we can bring back up verses 22 to 25, Emily, that'd be great. Don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it, for that is the essence of self-deception. So always let His word become poetry written and fulfilled by your life. In the English Standard Version, in verse 22, it says, doers of, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, or lest you deceive yourself. In James chapter 1, the phrase deceive or deception or the idea of allowing ourselves to be deceived is mentioned three different times. It's mentioned in verse 16, when we get deceived and think that God is the cause of our problems instead of the enemy. And so if we start blaming God for tempting us, James warns us, don't get deceived by that wrong idea about God. It's not God's fault. The second place that he reminds us to be careful that we're not deceived is in this passage, to not be doers of the word, or, 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 or to be doers of the word, not just hearers only, where we just take it in and we don't do anything with it. We don't allow the Lord to do what he wants to in our life through his word. The third place where deception is mentioned is later in verse 26, which we'll look at next week, where we talk a lot, 
but we don't have much compassion. And he said, if you are quick with your tongue, but you don't care about the widows and orphans, basically, what, it doesn't matter how religious you sound, your religious is worth squat. And so it'd be better if you just shut your mouth because you're deceiving yourself and everyone around you. So in warning us about that, we want to go back to this issue of hearing His Word and not just being, uh, not just being hearers, but doing what the Word says. So I want you to look at another passage. Deuteronomy chapter 6. One of the things I'm still getting used to with everything being on the screen is everybody just stares at me. And I can't tell if you're looking behind me and at me. The one thing is at least you're looking at me. Does anybody know what this passage is called? The Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Beginning verse 6, let's read it together. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, the Shema, and understanding the context of the word Shema, helps us see why Jesus often said these words. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I think I've mentioned it before, you probably know this, But the word for hear, hearing God, is exactly the same word in Hebrew for obeying God. And so James didn't know it when he wrote these words, but he didn't know how American Christians would be so influenced by rationalism and reason. Because I guarantee, guarantee you that all of us have been guilty of hearing God's words, God speaking a word to us and prompting us and saying, you need to go talk to that person. You need to go extend forgiveness to that person. You need to go uh, minister to that person that you see standing on the street corner that's asking for a handout. And we get prompted, and then what, what do we all tend to do at different times? It's called the word excuse. We start thinking of all the different reasons why, well, maybe I'll get around to forgiving that person when they do this, this, and this. Or, ah, the time is not quite right. You know, I, the atmosphere doesn't seem right. It's too humid outside. Or there might be, we can come up with a whole host of silly reasons. Or we see someone that's in need and we think, Wow, you know, that would be a really a great thing for Brian to take care of. I know Brian's giftedness is so well formed for that. And uh, man, I think I need to call Brian to go talk to that person. And we ignore the Holy Spirit saying to us through the Word, no, I want you to take care of that person. So the Shema is reminding us that we've got to keep the Word before us all the time so that what we hear the Word say is something that we immediately respond to. You know, 
we're really happy to have Aaron and Katrina and, our, and Riley and Peyton with us today. And we used to tell the kids when they were home, you know, we'd say, would you please take out the garbage? And then, you know, a couple hours later, the garbage was still sitting there. And we'd say, right? We'd say, I thought, I thought I told you to take out the garbage. Did you hear me? And the answer was, yeah, I heard you. But how come the garbage is still there two hours later? Riley, you don't ever do that, right? And so, that was a good answer, by the way. So, so here's the thing. What are the things that God is, has put on your heart to do? What are the things that represent your calling and your destiny in Him that you just keep putting off and putting off and putting off? And God says, did you hear me? Yeah, I heard you. He says, well, you, if you heard me way back there, why are you waiting until now to respond? Because if you heard me, you would have immediately obeyed me at the same time. And that's what, that's what James is getting across in terms of this picture of hear and obey. There's a lot of scholars that call the book of James you know, a commentary on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And do you remember at the end of the Sermon on the Mount the picture that Jesus gives us about the difference between the person who hears and obeys and the person who says, I heard you, but I'll obey when I feel like it over here. I'll obey when it makes sense to me. You know, think about how silly that is, really. God tells us to do something, and we argue back with Him. Well, God, can I kind of explain to you why I have a better idea than you do? I mean, really, does that make any sense to you that we do that? But don't we all do that at different times? But at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, there's two pictures of the person who hears and obeys and the person who hears and obeys when they think it's convenient. What's the difference? There's the picture of the person that builds a house on the sand and when the rains come, the, the floods rise up and the house falls flat. And so if the nature of your walk with the Lord is to constantly rationalize with Him when He's prompting you to do what you need to do through His Word, you are setting yourself up for destruction. But if your response to the Lord is to immediately respond as He prompts you to move into something and He prompts you through the Word or through the encouragement of the Word through another person because there's wisdom in the advice of many counselors. If you're responding like that, the picture that Jesus gave was the house, like, that house is built on a rock. And when the rains come and the floods come up, the house stands still. And you'll be able to face the trials and temptations. You'll be able to face the difficulties. You'll be able to face uh, all the things that come your way because you'll recognize your strength is coming, coming from the meaning and the integrity and the fidelity of God's Word, which we sang about this morning in every song that we sang. And so, I want you to think about this picture of the landscape. Everybody put your hands right here on your heart. And just imagine that your heart is like God's landscape. He has a particular drawing, piece of artwork, a, a work of poetry, a beautiful picture of what your life is supposed to look like. No matter at what stage your life is in. The work is not finished yet. 
And so, as He works in your heart, let's just take a moment before I read something else and we get ready to receive communion in a few moments. Let's take a moment and let's just wait on the Lord. And I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I just pray for each of us that You would help us to be willing to work on our hearts and in our lives from the inside out. So we don't have to have the pressures of life to convince us to do what we're supposed to do. But I pray that we would get an internal pressure that would come from God. That we'd get an internal pressure that would come from God and force us into a place of doing the things that would be pleasing to you. In your name I pray. Amen. I want to read you a couple of things and then we're going to receive communion. Someone has said about this passage, our Christian lives are not meant to be motivated by a rote schedule of do this and do that. Instead, they're meant to be like a painter's canvas that is progressively filled with creative, inspired flourishes of beautiful actions. Anyone who considers Christianity to be boring is completely mistaken. A Christian's heart is filled like Jesus to be poured out in a million expressions of love, compassion, and mercy that extend beyond participating in a great worship service and consuming a relevant message on a Sunday morning. When we become doers of the Word the way we are meant to be, we become a volcanic eruption of vivacity and life that sweeps through all barriers and hesitations and pursues actions that will set people free. That's why we're supposed to be doers of the Word and not just hear the Word. Because we also have a responsibility to set people free. So here's what I want to encourage us with as we get ready to receive communion. Verse 25, if we could put that up there real quick, Emily. says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. All right, help me out. What's the perfect law? Let me put it two ways. Who's the perfect law? Jesus is the perfect law. What is the perfect law? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. Right? So we're talking about the Word. So Jesus is is the who to the question of who is the perfect law. So what other word do we have? What other word do we have? Is this one big enough for us? So here's, here's what I want to challenge us with. How many times do we take the word and we open it up and we start to read it and we haven't even prayed before we start to read it? How many times do we think that we can look at the word without God's supernatural revelation of quickening it to our ears and to our heart to speak to us exactly what we need for a particular situation or for a day that we're facing. It's about meditation. It's about hearing Him carefully. But the promise of verse 25 is everyone that looks into the law of liberty, this Word that turns us to picture Jesus, the perfect one, the perfect law, 
Every one of us that does that, being no hearer who forgets what we read, but a doer who acts on what we read, it promises this, he will be blessed in his doing. So before we receive communion, I have a final question. How many of you here would like to be blessed in everything that you do? Please raise your hand. All right, that's a good answer because, yeah, some of us want to be blessed, you know. So it, the direction, the encouragement, the exhortation for us is right here. That's our direction, is to let God draw on our hearts and He draws on our hearts through the Word that He speaks to us. That's it. I'm done. So, we want to receive communion this morning. And as we receive communion, I want to remind you of what we... I think sometimes forget, but we need to be, bring to our remembrance again as Jesus encouraged us. For us, you know, as a Reformed church and as a Christian church, we believe with all of our heart that when we receive the bread and the cup, we're receiving the means of grace. The means of grace that makes the Word come alive, that takes the words that have been planted like seeds in our heart, implanted Word of God and brings them to life. So before we, before we set up and receive communion, I'd like all of you to put your hands out in front of you. And I want you to picture in your mind's eye, I want you to picture the things that are on your heart. I'll give you a specific example of what I'm thinking about. If, if uh, yeah, I'll just give this example. So one of the things that Ariel who's with us this morning, July 26th is the date that she does her dissertation. Right? I would guess that that's on Ariel's mind once in a while. And maybe, uh, right, Andrew? A little bit. She thinks about it once in a while. So, as an example, for Ariel, that's in her hands right now. Lord, what's your word for me? Because he has a specific word for her, a word of encouragement that you're on the right track, you're, you're doing what you're called to do. And, and so we want the Lord to minister that to her this morning. Bob has in his heart his sister's surgery on Tuesday. So it's those things, whatever it is, what do we need a word for? And it's not just for us, but the way that it's going to minister to others as well through us. So Lord, we ask You right now, to take these things that represent the realities of our life, the burdens that we carry, the concerns that we have, not that they're just heavy burdens, but they're things that are part of life. And we're trying to do the best we can with what you've put on our plate, whether it's things we need to do, whether it's relationships we're working out, whatever it might be. So we just ask you now that you would help us to hear your word. And we pray that you would write beautiful poetry, plant a beautiful garden, draw an amazing painting on our hearts. And we can look back and see that the Lord has certainly done a good thing.
And we ask that we would be blessed, every one of us would be blessed in the doing of your word, we ask in your name. And everybody said, I'd like you to put your hands out in front of you to receive the blessing that comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and He will surely do it. And may He do it for you by the grace and peace of Jesus Christ. Amen.